0: God has been getting us to see impact church in a completely different way. Now, I want to say very clearly so that I don't freak anyone out and you all get worried and run out of here you know, crying and worried about what the future of the church looks like. Do I think we're going to change everything and do a complete overhaul and it's going to look completely different than we've ever seen it before? Of course not, because the foundations are great. But we feel like there's a next chapter. And so there's things that are going to change. I'm just pre-warning you. Some of these things you may see starting in September. Some of these things may come down the road, um, but there are things that we're going to change. Why? Because we've been thinking very clearly and very honestly about everything that goes on and its effectiveness in relation to the ultimate mission of Christ, which is to reach the lost and to build the found. So sometimes, um, can I be honest this morning? And you're going to laugh because you, you're going to laugh. How many have ever been involved with a project in your life where over time, you become a little bit too intimately connected to the idea that you've created. And it's hard to let go. For the first time in a long time, I, I can honestly say I have never been more open-minded in all my life regarding this church and regarding the future of this church. Um, because I recognize we've built a good foundation, but in order to get to the next level, we've got to change something. We've got to do some things differently Um, and so as a pastoral team we are so open to whatever God wants the revival series has shaken us up the outpouring series has shaken us up what God is calling us to get to has shaken us up and so if I can be honest here this morning we're excited but in one sense we almost feel and I don't want to say this word to sound negative because it's not negative but we almost feel like we're in a vulnerable place but it's in a good place Because we don't know what's on the other side, but we're excited about what God is putting into our heart and refocusing our heart towards, and it's exciting. We are probably, I can honestly say, I feel like planting the church all over again. I feel like we were, it's 10 years ago, and we're coming to Kingston for the first time. That's how I'm feeling, and I'm excited about that. I have never had so much excitement about our future as what I do right now. And so, I want to encourage you with that. What are we thinking and evaluating? Well, I wanted to share a couple of things, and then I'm going to turn it over to Ray. We're evaluating our core values, our vision, and our mission. So, what things do we never want to see change? How many love worship? How many love that we love to pursue the presence of God in worship? Well, it's never changing. How many know that we believe in strong biblical foundations? It's never changing. How many know that we love outreach? It's never changing. Why? Because this is who we are, okay? Okay. Um, But there are things that we are looking at to determine is this this stuff that is excess or maybe no longer necessary, or is there a better way to do that? Um, Is there a different way to explain that process? Um, And so we're thinking through all of that. So our core values, mission, and vision is one thing. Our second thing is this. Our next steps for new believers and newcomers. We want to make it so abundantly obvious so clear what next steps are for a new believer and for a newcomer that comes into this church on any given Sunday, so that it's so obvious, but not just obvious in the signage or in what, look, what it looks like or even in our bulletins or anything else, but it's going to be so easy and obvious to you so that when I'm not there to have a conversation, you can carry on the conversation without me, so it'll be easy, it'll be transferable, it'll be easily repeatable, that's what we want to do, um, how many know that sometimes people come in and if they've never been to church or maybe haven't been to church in a long time, it's a it's a little intimidating. And then you got some weird guy like me that you know says some really bad dad jokes, and it's like, is this guy for is this guy for real? Like serious? And so what we want to do is create an environment in your mindset that is, is creating a safe space and a community-focused space for people that walk in no matter where they've come from. Okay? We tracking? So we've asked questions like, what's our next steps? Is it visible? Is it easily understood? When it comes to someone coming to Christ, what do we do? How do we get them from the curious chair to the connected chair, if you remember last September? How do we do that? Um, And so we're talking through all of those things. The third thing is this. Our communication to our church is something that we feel has been a weak point for our church. And so we are working on making that more clear, easily understood, um, not just in what is said, but in how it connects somebody to the next thing, right? So not just newcomers and new believers, but also what's our discipleship strategy? What's our leadership pipeline? What does that look like, okay? The fourth thing is this. We believe that our discipleship strategy has been good, but it can get better. So there's certain questions that we're asking ourselves. What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a healthy disciple? What did Jesus do to make disciples? I mean you want to go down to it, WWJD. What did Jesus do? It works for me. And so there's certain things and certain elements that we see that Jesus did that the apostles carried on that it's not that we're not doing, but they were more effective because they simplified it down to three basic things. And what we're going to do is try to simplify things down to something that's easy, that's something that is understandable. And, and our goal and our hope is that it's something that you can easily repeat to somebody else as they are coming into the church and starting their journey for the first time. Amen. In some ways, it's so easy. The great analogy for us is the, the idea of a tree. And it's, we all know that it starts by planting a seed. It starts by, it, step two is developing roots. The third thing is that they grow fruit. And the fourth thing is that they plant another tree. So there's a process of discipleship that's the exact same way. Plant the seed, develop the roots, grow the fruit, re, and repeat. Reproduce, right? That's the same thing that God wants us to do. One of the questions that we've asked ourselves as well is how many evenings can somebody realistically commit to in one month for a discipleship process? Some people want to be here 28 times. Some people can only do two. So how do we do that? How do we create a system and a structure that's going to work for everybody no matter where their season of life is at? So these are questions that we're asking ourselves. Okay? We good? All right. So our leadership pipeline is something else that we are talking about. Um, how do we develop an, a clear and easily understood process? How do we continuously develop the next generation of leaders? How do we make sure not to make leadership the goal for people at impact? One of the things that I have seen that has destroyed the church in the last 20 years is a major focus on leadership. It's not scriptural. I don't care how many John Maxwell books you've read, it's not scriptural. God calls you to have influence, it doesn't say you need a title. You don't have to have a title to have influence. The problem is, is too many people in the church world have their identity and their title, and the moment it's taken away, they're lost like a puppy dog. How do I know? I was one. (laughs) You didn't want to see me 20 years ago when I had something taken away. It was not a pretty sight. But you know what happened is I actually had to look in the mirror and realize my identity was in what I did rather than who I am in Christ. So one of the things that we want to do is create a a, a proper vetting system and a proper um, just process to help you understand as individuals whether a leadership call is on your life. Because if a leadership gift is not on your life, then what ultimately happens, people that are not called to leadership and don't have a grace for it hurt the church. And I care too much about you to see people hurting you. So some people get frustrated at us and go, I don't understand this and I don't understand that. I'm going because we love this house too much, okay? Um, It's important for us to help you find what you're graced to do. Because if you find your grace gift, what you are graced and gifted and have the ability and have the grace on your life to do, then guess what? You're going to be so full of joy. You're going to be so excited and so just blessed to do what God wants you to do. But after thinking through all of these things, we've come to what I'm calling this morning a crossroads. Now, if you're here and you hear the word crossroads, ultimately people usually think that in a negative way. But I want to say to you this morning, we are so excited about this crossroads that we've come to. I actually feel like it's one of the most incredible moments that we've ever come to as a church. That it is an incredible, powerful, uh, and exciting place for us to be in. Because sometimes when you come to a crossroads, it causes you naturally to have to look back and to make a decision. Crossroads, the definition literally is this, an intersection of two or more roads, a point at which a crucial decision must be made, a main center of activity. Well, that's a crossroads. That's what we've come to. Jeremiah 6, 16, verse, uh, the first part, it says, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. Look. Ask for the ancient past. In other words, God, what have you done in history that is so foundational that we cannot miss? Ask where the good way is. How many know that you can have a good way and a bad way? We want the good way, right? And walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Find rest for your souls. This is what we want to see for this house. Here's what I've come to grips with. Crossroads is a place of reflection. It's a place of decision, and it's a place of direction. Obviously, in the last three, two and a half, three weeks, a crossroads has become a point of of great catastrophe on Highway 35 and 335 in Saskatchewan. Um, And it breaks my heart to see what's happened there. But I'm talking about a different crossroads. The book of Nehemiah is an interesting book because it actually talks about this whole thought in a very powerful way. Um, And this story intersects with our story today. And I want to share just a couple of thoughts before I turn it over to Pastor Ray. Nehemiah in chapter 1 heard um, from the Jews in Jerusalem that they were in distress and struggling and that they just didn't seem to be pushing ahead. And they couldn't just get to that next level or that next place in God. And after hearing direct reports, it caused Nehemiah to reflect. Like a crossroads, he had to look back and he had to see, And reflect on his own life in relation to the need in the city of Jerusalem. I want you this morning to reflect on your own life. And how your life intersects and connects to the need of of the city of Kingston. And those around you. Those you work with. Those that are living next door to you. Or those that you see walking out and about and have made a connection with. Nehemiah made a decision to petition the king to allow him to return to his homeland... And see how we could help make it better. I don't know about you, but um, about 17 years ago, Sandra and I had the privilege of going to the Hillsong Conference in Sydney, Australia. There was 20,000 people in the Acer Arena that was also on the Olympic site. So it's where the basketball in the Olympics were. It was awesome. It was an incredible, incredible moment. But there was this guy that stood up with this dry, witty dry, witty, British sense of humor. His name's Paul Scanlon, and he did his entire message on one thought. That the conference God and the local church God is the same guy. Many of us think that the conference God and the local church God are two totally different guys. He said, they're the same guy. I have news for you. They're the same guy. And at the end of his message, he got all of us to stand up, 20,000 people in the entire place, and he got us to stand up and click our heels three times. (laughs) There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. You know what I've realized in my life? Is when home's not right, we have to blame everything else around us. Because they're not feeding what we have missing at home. But when home is right, people are naturally drawn and attracted to that house. I don't know about you, but I want to be the house where all the kids come and play. Because they're attracted to something that's in our house. Amen? Amen. And then, of course, he had direction when Nehemiah came back to rebuild the wall that was once destroyed and to protect the city of Jerusalem, God's city, again. So since January, we have, as a team of leaders, we've been literally meeting to rethink everything, to ask some really tough questions. Um, We've already met four times, and we're meeting a number of times again, but there's a lot of things that are going on that has stirred up these things in us. We have put out a a questionnaire specifically to our covenant partners who are giving very honest feedback on uh, the church, what we need to keep, what needs to change, some of their reflections on unobserving what's going on and we're taking that all in and we're doing this because we believe that we're about ready to step into the next chapter of this church that god wants to write the next chapter of this church but we have come to a crossroads sandra i know is going to explain a little bit about that in a second but we've asked these questions can our current structure handle the growth we're anticipating That includes our discipleship process, our pastoral care, our counseling, our kids' classes, our volunteer teams. Can our current resources, our finances, our staff, our leaders, our volunteers handle that growth? Can we as your three pastors handle that growth? Do we have the time and the energy to handle that growth? These are questions we're asking ourselves very honestly. Um, Is there a more effective way to do Impact Church? Is there a more effective way to reach the lost and build the found? So what we want to do this morning is invite you on a journey that we have been on for the last six months. We want to invite you on the same journey, and this is the journey that we've been on. Number one, a journey filled with wonder and excitement for the future of this house. We are excited because we know God's up to something. The second thing is this. We want to invite you to a journey filled with stories about people that are on the other side of your storm. Kara set me up perfectly last week. We want to invite you to that journey. And third, we want to invite you to a journey so filled with the love of Jesus that impacts a city because it desperately needs Him. We want to invite you on that journey this morning. Amen.
1: Good morning. Um, for those who don't know me, I am Rachel, but everybody here knows me as Ray, and um, I'm going to be doing a third portion on the concept of co-laboring, and just as I'm sitting there, I'm also am one who doesn't like to be constricted uh, and contained, and I think that that's actually what co-laboring is about, that the Holy Spirit wants to co-labor with us, and he wants to make sure that we, as a church, are not contained and constricted, and um, I just want to talk about that concept of how do we co-labor with God and how do we co-labor with one another as we continue to see what God wants to do and build an impact church and not just at impact church but in Kingston and in the surrounding area and I love this quote that Pastor Kara Graham gave us last week she said God is depositing something in you so that he can do something through you. And the amazing thing is that God has deposited something in each individual one of us. So whether you have been a part of Impact for 10 years, you've been six years, five years, three years, you're here today for the very first time, can I say to you that God has deposited something specifically in you or will deposit something specifically in you because he wants to do something through you? But the thing is, he doesn't want to do it through us all on our own individually. He gives it to us individually, but he wants to do do it through us together and I love that concept of co-laboring of doing things together and I know for myself that when I learned about the person of the Holy Spirit he really taught me to co-labor with him as he co-labored with Jesus and as Jesus co-labored with the Father. We are one big family and then the Holy Spirit comes and he teaches us how to co-labor as a church family. And it's a very, very powerful thing because it causes you to move towards a focused mission and a goal together so that you don't miss the mark but you strategically hit the mark that you are going for. And I feel like God is saying, this church is going to move into a place where we are are literally going to a mark that he wants us to strategically make sure that we don't miss, that we hit. So as a pastoral team and as a church since November, we have been literally believing for the concept of more for deeper for an outpouring and and when i talked about outpouring in december i talked about that concept that god was not only pouring out but we were to pour out from us and as it did it would collide together and it would create just this powerful storm of god's presence and then we talked about the concept of revival and i don't know about you but I get so excited with the recognition that Jesus Christ is revival and that because we have Jesus Christ inside of us as individuals, we are revival. So the revival is going to come not necessarily just from God outpouring, but from us allowing Jesus out, allowing the revival to come out of us. And so um, he was talking earlier about the passion is being renewed. I don't know about you, but for me, myself, I feel like I can no longer be contained, that the Holy Spirit inside of me is just pushing me and compelling me to move forward, to grow, to say there is more. There is so much more on the other side. Let's get together. Let's co-labor. Let's go for the more. And so we've been believing for that. But in that, can I say to you that we have been seriously praying for 10 years for a tangible building, and that has not taken place yet. And I know over time, we've received those questions. We need a building. These things and impact needs to change, but we need a building. And we agree. We are saying, yes, we absolutely need a building. And I feel like um, recently what has come to my mind, um, so in the practical sense, the enemy has been trying to constrict finances. The enemy has been trying to constrict our territory, and in this season, I felt like God said to me, "Do not accept it." Just before we went into the retreat last last weekend, called miracles, I had a numerical problem. <laughs> um, and typically we were usually hitting about 120. But about a week before the miracles retreat, we were sitting only at 70 people. And I said, Jesus, what's up with this? Because this is your retreat, and you have ordained it. You birthed it, so you take care of the numbers. And he said, The enemy's coming against you, don't accept it. And in that same week, we heard that our finances were being restricted. And are we being wise with our stewardship team and as a pastoral team? Absolutely. And we are doing absolutely everything practical and wise to do to cut back and to make sure we're utilizing the resources that we are getting in a very wise manner. But I felt the Holy Spirit rise up and say, don't accept what the enemy is trying to constrict. Amen? so that led me into, he, he revealed to me this idea from Nehemiah that just as Nehemiah, when he was given a vision from God, go and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem because those walls are going to protect what I am already in the second stage of building. But this is the third stage. And that third stage comes around and it embraces and it protects what God's work is going to do and it's building of the faith of God's people. And he said to me, it's just like in Nehemiah where the enemy came to stop their progress but what the enemy tried to do in nehemiah and he tried to use it to discourage and to stop the progress of god's people from building that wall god uses to build the faith of his people so that he can entrust with us spiritual things so you you know um if you've read the bible at all um that god tends to test us with finances right Why does he do that? Because it connects us to the kingdom of God. If he can entrust us with finances here, he says he can literally entrust us with spiritual things. So if we're going for the more, if we're going for the revival, if we're going to a place where we are literally going to reach out and touch a people for God, then he's got to know, can I trust you with the spiritual things? Because the spiritual things are eternal. Finances are not eternal, but spiritual things are. And he tests us with our finances. Luke 16 and 10 to 11 says this, Whoever is faithful with very little will also be faithful with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If then you who have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? That's the word of God. That is the word of God. So not only is the enemy coming against us to stop the progress, but I also think God's on the scene saying, you know what? I'm gonna take what the enemy's trying to do to stop your progress. I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna test you and see where your hearts are at. I'm gonna test you and see, can I entrust you with the next level? You're calling for the more, you're calling for the deeper, you're calling for the revival, you're calling for the for the people in this city, but can I trust you with their hearts? Can I trust you to give them spiritual riches? So what does he do? He takes what the enemy tries to use to discourage us and to stop us, but he takes it to build our faith. So I feel like God is saying, in this season, when the enemy's trying to constrict, when he's trying to contain, specifically with your finances, specifically with a tangible building, maybe it's in your family, maybe it's in your city, whatever it is that you feel like God is trying to stop your progress in or to constrict, God says, don't accept it. Let me build your faith. Let me grow you. Let me entrust you with spiritual things. Amen? So when Nehemiah was leading the building of the walls around Jerusalem, God was not only helping them to build physical walls, but reestablishing and building their faith. Nehemiah 2 and 17 in the voice says this, Our trouble is obvious. The wall of Jerusalem has been reduced to piles of rock and its gates consumed by flame. Let us begin by rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. And in doing so, we will demolish our disgrace because of our defeat and our exile. You know, they had been in captivity to Babylon for years. And Babylon had actually finally released them So they were no longer in captivity, they were no longer slaved, but in two separate portions, the the ones that had been in captivity, the Jewish nation, they had actually slowly returned to their city, the city of God. But there was a third stage that still needed to happen. There were still things about that city that was in ruins. And so Nehemiah gets this thing in his heart that says, Come on people of God, let's finish the last stage. Let's protect what God is doing. Let's see he's working in Jerusalem. He's rebuilding, he's restoring, he's building up the faith. So let's come along, let's come alongside of one another. Let's build the wall of protection and let's do this thing together. And you know amazingly enough, and this is a miracle. It is amazing in 52 days. What can you do in 52 days? In 52 days, in the face of intimidation, distraction, and hindrances from the enemy, God helped them move from rubble and burnt stones... To walls half built. Nehemiah 4 and 6 says this, we returned to building focused and determined to work as one people. We stacked rock upon rock until one end of the wall met the other and it grew to half its original height. They did it rock by rock, moment by moment, labor by labor, Sunday by Sunday, Daily, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And they did it together. They did it focused. They did it determined. And they did it shoulder to shoulder. And then it was built in such a way that there was walls built but no gates. In verse 7 it says this. When the news that the few remaining gaps in the wall were rapidly closing. And I love this. And our city was beginning to heal. Wow. I feel like the enemy knows That we're at the the wall stage where the walls are being built, but the gates are still not there. But, But the enemy knows that we're starting to have people come to this place of healing and restoration. This house of healing and restoration. And they have heard it in the spiritual realm. And I believe the enemy has started to come against us because of that. And it says when they heard this. And it reached the lands surrounding Jerusalem. The Sanballat, Tobiah, some Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashtonites all became furious. In fact, they were so upset, they devised a plot to attack Jerusalem and create confusion. I would suggest to us, it's to create containment. Our response to this threat was twofold. We prayed to our true God, same God of the conference, same God here, true God. And we set up a watch. Day and night to look out for them. So then they built, not only then to the walls built, and gates. And when you think of the gates, gates in the, in the Bible speak of authority and power. But what they were saying in that moment, that without gates, we are still vulnerable. People can attack us. People can get in. But I feel like God is saying today that as you build the gates, as you walk together, as you co-labor together, that he's going to turn the most vulnerable places into the most powerful. So can you take that even for your own life? That whatever God is doing in your life and the enemy is coming against it and you think it's a vulnerable, unprotected place? If you do think, two things, if you go before your true God and you start praying and you start co-laboring with the Holy Spirit, that he's going to turn your vulnerable into your most powerful place. And this was a miracle that in those 52 days, think of it, only 52 days, they had, they had rocks. I think it was like 570 tons. <laughs> like this is amazing. This is a miracle. And regarding opposition, then for our church as a pastoral team, we feel specifically that God is saying to us, don't accept the enemy's opposition. We want to make this moment an opportunity to co labor as three pastors standing together. We want to make this an opportunity to share before you how we have learned to co-labor with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We want to make this an opportunity to come alongside with our Impact Church family and say, let's together learn how to -to shoulder-to-shoulder co-labor together and do what God is wanting to do in and through our church. Amen? So I want to leave you with four things, and then I'm going to pass it along to Sandra. So the first thing is... So know it. Know the issue. So we are, we are taking the time to know what is the issue that God is wanting to reveal to us the opposition of the enemy and what he's wanting to reveal to us as to what we need to change and practically do. Number two, see it. See it for what it is. Don't ignore it. Number three, don't accept it. Don't believe the enemy, but believe God. God. So if the enemy's bringing opposition, let it be a moment to grow your faith instead. Number 4, in prayer and work, collaborate with God and with each other. You know, in the book of Nehemiah, it talked about each family was stationed along the wall. And as you go along, it would talk about um, and next to them, and next to them, and then next to them, and then next to them. And literally it was a chain of co-laboring around the wall where each person did their part. They did it together, but they were they were focused on one thing, but there was multiple people working on that one thing. And again, in the concept of out of the ashes, God brought, and out of defeat, and out of despair, and out of oppression, God began to make something beautiful, and he took that which was vulnerable and unprotected, and he made it powerful. Nehemiah 6 and 16 says this, after they stood their ground against the opposition, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized this work had been done with the help of God. Amen? Can we pull together, guys, with this new vision? Let passion be ignited in your hearts, and let's together, shoulder to shoulder, co-labor with what God is wanting to do in and through each one of us.
2: Awesome. Thank you. Um, For those of you who are new here, this is different. We've actually never done anything like this before, so... Um, we just really felt to share from each of our hearts this morning. Um, But I want to just, as we close today, I just want to talk about what happens after we come to this crossroads. What happens after we learn to co-labor? What is our response? And I believe that there is a commission uh, that God wants to deposit in us as believers. It's not just about coming and and hearing about a good idea, but it is about co-laboring. Once we've come to that place of, okay, what do we do now? What's our response. I believe that he is commissioning us afresh again today to be who God has called us to be, uh, to not shrink back, to not forget why we're here, but to come back to the very fundamental idea of why has he put us on this earth? What is it that we need to do? So once uh, the people had actually finished building the building, or sorry, the wall in the book of Nehemiah, I want to pick up right where Ray uh, Pastore stopped, and I want to just look at five things that the people did right after they finished building that wall. They actually gathered together in the town square. It says all of them came together, and they cried out to Ezra, who was a priest, who was a, a scribe in that place, and they said, would you come? And would you read to us the, the book of the law, the word of the Lord, and tell us what it is that we're supposed to do? I think, I want to I say very clearly um, that this is not about a building. Um, it may seem like it is about a building, but I want to declare to you right now that we are building what God is building, We are building the church of the living God, and the church of the living God will not be restricted to whether we are at the Cineplex or at KCS, or we have a small building, a big building, even location that does not restrict what God is doing. But as we're co-laboring, we are recognizing that as a church, we are in a place where there are things that we could do more effectively. Uh, If we had a permanent place, that's why this keeps coming up. This pledge Sunday that we're talking about, those pledge cards that you have, it's not because we're saying, oh, we're desperate and we can't do anything. This is not about what we cannot do. Can I say very clearly this morning, it's about what we can do with the help of our God. It is what God can do in a people that are fully committed to him. But we need to look at, God, what are you requiring of us? Because how many know it's so easy to go, yes, that sounds awesome, that sounds great. I'll sit on the sidelines and I'll watch you labor, right? Right? That's awesome. How many have ever had that thought where it's like, I will be cheering you on, sister or brother. But I'm saying today, we are putting out, we're putting forth today that we need all of you. We need every single one to play their part. We need to recognize and come back to what is the word of the Lord, the word of God, the commission that he has already given us before Jesus left. He actually says one thing uh, is what I want all of you to do throughout the ages, I want you to go out there and I want you to take the message that you have heard. And I want you to share it with every creature, with every person around you. Let's not forget that that is the word of the Lord. But what happened is that they gathered together, they heard the word. So when they actually finished, um, they stood and Nehemiah 8.3 says, And all the people listened attentively, attentively to the book of the law. They came together and they said, what is it that God is requiring of us? One of the things that we've been doing as we've been going through our meetings and visioning exercises, we've been coming back to what does the word of God say? What is our responsibility? What is our response? And what we want to do is we want to be careful that we base whatever we do upon the biblical principles that God has laid forth. In verse six, it's not on the screen, but as they listened, something amazing happened. It says that the people, they started praising. When they heard the word of God, they started spontaneously just praising. And then it said they responded by worshiping God. They said, now that we know what the word of God says, we are responding in our hearts. We are praising him. We are worshiping him. One of the things we want to do is to focus on the facts that the building of the wall itself, things like structure, things like programs, things like a process, is there to simply facilitate the word of God itself to be effective. Our church will never be about the programs. Our church will always be about the people. Now we're tweaking programs so that we can more effectively work with people to see freedom that can only come in Christ. We don't worship the structure, we worship God. And that's why we're willing to change the structure. That's why we're going to tweak some things. Because our our methodology can change, but our principles remain the same. And the principles will always be based on the Word of God. Because what happens in Romans 10, 17, it says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. I believe that we are in a season as a church where we are needing to respond to the Word of God. Because when we listen to what it is that God is actually saying to us, there's a faith building that happens. There is something that rises up on the inside of me when I hear the Word of God and I say, Yes, God, I want to be part of that. Faith comes by hearing. And so I want to be hearing the right thing if we truly want to do everything that God has called us to do, that he has set forth for us to do, then we need to be listening to the right source. Again, this is not about what we don't have. This is about what we can have. When we, by faith, rise up and co-labor, come together and fulfill the Great Commission. The second thing is that they interpreted what it meant. When Ezra read the word to them, he and Nehemiah and the Levites actually ended up explaining and helping the people understand because there was things that the nation had neglected to do during this time. Nehemiah eight 8.8 says, they read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Can we just let you know that part of what we're doing with simplifying our processes to make the path clear? So that people understand what it is that God is requiring of each and every one of us so that we can hear what he's saying and obey what he's saying. If you've been here at any length or if this is your first uh, time, we wrap up our, kind of our big statement as we need to live like Jesus and we need to love like Jesus. See, we need to live like Jesus by living in obedience to the word of God, just like he did, holy and devoted to God, full of grace and truth. And then we need to love like Jesus through compassion and reaching people and being there, I'm sorry, being there for people. The third thing he, they did is that they obeyed the word. It's funny, when they realized that there were things that they had neglected, they actually started grieving. And Nehemiah came and he said to them in Nehemiah 8, ten, he says, do not grieve. Do not be sad that there are some things that maybe you need to tweak and change. But you need to... Um, recognize that today, he actually says, prior to this verse, it says, this is the day of feasting. This is the day of rejoicing. When we recognize that God is on the move, he is restoring the wall. He is recommissioning us to do what he's called us to do. And it says, and we quote this verse often, this is where it comes from. It says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's in this context of we're building this thing together and the joy of the Lord is going to be your strength because when you're building what he's building, you can be full of joy. We don't have to be fatigued. We don't have to be weary and tired. When we build what God is building, there's a joy and a strength that can come from obeying him. The fourth thing they did is they renewed the covenant. They made a commitment for a fresh renewal of what God, the covenant that God had given them. They refocused their time, their attention, and the care for the house of God. They renewed their commitment to things like bringing, restoring the temple, bringing the first fruits, bringing the tithes, and focusing their time and attention. And they actually say in Nehemiah 10 39, they said, we will not neglect the house of our God. Because it had laid in ruins, and they said, it's time to rebuild. It's time to refocus. It's time to come back to what God had already placed us there to do. Can I say, when we give out these pledge cards today, it's not um, its not even about the money. Can I say, God is actually not at all worried about that? I know that may seem shocking to some, and I, I think we've said this once before, but You know that we already have everything that we need. God has already given us the money. The problem is that it's still in our pockets, right? So, oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) Some of you got that. (laughs) But can I say this? God is not concerned about the money. He's concerned about us being all in with what he's doing. And that goes way beyond a building. But can I say today, as we give this pledge card, it's our opportunity as a church body to say, I'm all in. I want to build what God is building. I want to be part of extending the kingdom of God. For those of you, how many of you have ever been a team lead in one of our outreaches at any point? Okay, at any point. There's lots of you that have been part of team leaders. Can you imagine doing what we do in a permanent place? Uh, How much? (laughs) Yes. Uh, so part of this is not begging God for something. Part of this is recognizing that if we're going to keep growing, if we're going to keep expanding, if we're going to keep doing the things that God is putting in our hearts to do is just crazy big dreams about reaching this whole city about the with, with uh, the gospel message, the joy of the Lord with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And there's some things that we need to put in place to be more effective, so can I say this morning, we're inviting you on this journey. If you're new here, don't worry about this. But if this is your house, we're inviting you on this journey alongside of us. These pledge cards are here to help us have a gauge for where we're heading next, what we should plan out next. So as you're filling these things out today and dropping them, you have to live at the end of the year uh, to fulfill that pledge. But it's, it's to help us together go, okay, what can we put into place as a plan? What is it that we can do practically to help build the, the place of God, the house of God, spiritually. But when the people came, they renewed the covenant, they restructured the house of God. And part of what they did is that they put the right people in the right place because those people had not been functioning in the rightful place. So they reinstated the priests, the Levites, and the people. They were all stationed where they needed to be stationed. They were supported the way they need to be supported. Can I say, for the last couple of years, we've had this constant conversation as a pastoral team. Um, We've seen that our, our systems and our infrastructure can only handle so much. And so the constant conversation we've had is how can we effectively restructure our time so that we can see the growth that we believe God is bringing that we believe is in the heart of God. And can I make this very clear again? This is not about numbers, but this is about people that need to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is about the people that are on the other side of your storm that need to be set free. These are about the people that need to hear about your testimony, of your experience, of how you were bound, but Jesus set you free, of how you were discouraged, but Jesus came and changed your life. This is about each and every one of us being part of the great commission of sharing the good news that we'd don't have to go through life alone. We don't have to go through life discouraged. We don't have to go through life without hope and without purpose and without meaning. But he has commissioned each and every one of you this morning to be part of little Jesus's. Jesus Christ actually just means little anointed one. Christians literally means that we're little replicas of Jesus that get to go out there On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday, we get together and have a great communion and great family get-together where we get to celebrate God's goodness. But we've recognized that just like Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about how we need to empower the people to do the work of the ministry. Part of the restructuring that we're doing, part of the things that we are just looking at is how can we more effectively help activate people to be who God has called them to be. One of the things we've seen with the internship that has been so awesome is that we have, for those of you who are new, we have five interns right now that are going through this internship and they've been studying the Bible and learning about God, studying all these different things. But the most successful thing we've seen is that they've built, as they've grown in their knowledge, they've also grown in their confidence and they have been activated to do what God has called them to do. So part of what we want to do is become more effective in our activation process. That's not just for people that take an internship. That's for every believer so that we can be all that God has created us to be. We've recognized that sometimes as leaders, our hands are on too many things. We need to refocus some things. We're going to uh, maybe perhaps restructure some of the things that are directly reported to us. We, can, we will still, still oversee a lot, but we may not be personally involved in everything because we recognize that we need to be more effective. Part of what the, the people did in, in placing with Nehemiah and placing the right people in the right spots is that there was a great effectiveness that came. We believe that God, God is calling us as uh, a pastoral team into a season of raising leaders that can lead leaders, that can lead the people so that we can be effective in everything that God has called us to do. We want to see so many people, as many people as possible, activated to fulfill the call of God on your life. The last thing they did, and i not close with this, is one, they had finished building the wall. They had reinstated the people into the right places. It says that they rejoiced as they rededicated the walls of Jerusalem. Um, they actually had two Thanksgiving choirs. They are actually called, if you read in Nehemiah chapter twelve, they're called Thanksgiving choirs. They were specifically there to just stand on one side each, and they were to give thanks and shout about the praises of our God. And it said the people got so caught up in this rejoicing that the the. Uh, the choirs were singing, the priests were praising, the people started praising and then said the women and children that don't always get mentioned in those passages, but it said the women and the children started praising. So in Nehemiah twelve forty three, it says the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. When they saw that the house of God has been restored, the temple of our God, and the walls of the city of Jerusalem are restored, the people started rejoicing because they saw that God is on the move, God is real, God is working, and we get to be part of it. So I can say, they started by saying, you need to let the joy of the Lord be your strength, and they bookend it by saying, we're going to rejoice, because now that things are in place, God can do everything that he has set out to do. When, God, when we are doing what God has commissioned us to do, it can be done with joy. And when we are doing what God has called us to do, which is always going to be about reaching the lost and building the found, the sound of what he is doing can be heard far away because it becomes attractive. It becomes something that people want to be part of. We believe as a church we've done many things well throughout the years. There's many things we haven't done well, but there's things we've done well. I believe that we have served our community well, and that's not going to stop. I believe we serve each other pretty well, and that's not going to stop. But we want to refocus so that we can do all those things better. But let's not forget the very reason that we're here. In this time and in this season, we feel like God is reminding us of our purpose Why we're here. Pastor Kara said it beautifully last um, week. She talked about how when we go through storms, it's not just so that we survive the storm, it is so that we can effectively minister to the person on the other side and help them get through their storm. So, what we're asking for today is a renewed commitment and passion. We're hoping that the same stirring that God has placed in our hearts will be in each and every one of us so that we can effectively reach those around us and be Jesus to those around us. I just want to read the Great Commission uh, as we close today. Mark 16 says, and he said to them, this is Jesus, this was his commission, not just to the disciples back then, but to us today. He said, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these things will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will well, by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. And right now, he is praying for us, it says in another verse, it says that he's praying... In interceding for us and cheerleading us on to take up this great commission and keep going. And then it says, and they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the Lord through accompanying signs. Amen. We're believing that's the season we're in as a church. God is asking us to pick up the baton, to go out there, to reach every neighbor, every friend, every co-worker, every student, every person around us with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he will be there. To confirm his work through his power, because in the end, it's all about.